A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as shoal or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. A reading from the Psalm of Asaph, Psalms 80, 1 through 7. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might, power, and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine, and we will be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full, large measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, and we will be saved. Also from Psalms 80, 17 through 19, But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, the Annunciation, Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Romans, Romans 1, 1 through 7. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the words of our Lord. Uh, turn to your outlines. And uh, one of the problems that I'm having today is that I normally listen to the last two or three minutes to five minutes of last week's sermon, so I know where I stopped. However, Josiah didn't get uh, the, the stuff posted this week on the internet. It must have been he had some other important things to do or something. <laughs> Perhaps. So, um, so I guess we'll give him grace for that one because he normally posts them uh, usually by the end of uh, by Sunday night. They're usually up there. Um, uh, of course, I was meeting with him and Teresa Sunday night, so it's probably my fault. Uh, <laughs> it's always my fault somehow. All right, so we are uh, doing this series. Have you? Have, uh, they didn't put the fifteen things up. Oh, it's just a weird format or something. And it's got a song with it? <laughs> there is one. <laughs> okay. Well, they, and uh, again, uh, as in last week, their 15 emphasis are actually on the back of your outline. I don't always do that because I don't always have enough room. But they are on the back of the outline and under point number, Roman numeral four which if you don't know Roman numerals is a I and a V, an IV. Um, so we are on uh, emphasis three, which is the church, and we spent a couple weeks looking at word pictures of the church. And then last week we got into this subject uh, called an introduction to understanding the whole New Testament. And really it's an introduction to understanding the whole Bible. So uh, a major thing when you read is what paradigms are you bringing to the, to the reading w with? Whether you know it or not, anytime you read something, anytime you watch a movie, anytime you listen to music, you are doing it with assumptions in your mind already. And... Um, So, um, though the, the assumptions you have can be held consciously or they can be held unconsciously. And when it comes to reading the Bible, it would not be an exaggeration to say that over 95% of Bible-believing Christians uh, hold unconscious assumptions that they're bringing to the reading with them. 
that they've uh, been exposed to, even if you never went to church much. I was amazed when I used to have Bible studies with John Bradbury, who'd only been to church, what, two or three times in your whole life, right? Is that about right? Uh, I was amazed how many evangelical assumptions he already had. Because they're in the nature of our culture. And those assumptions uh, are either helping you actually understand what you're reading, or they're hindering you from understanding what you're reading. And so uh, one of the um, things that's important to do is re-examine your assumptions. Right? So, um, look at Roman numeral 2 there. We're going to skip all the rest of, of number 1, which is just kind of a rehashing of what we did the last three weeks. And uh, we're, look, you know, we're on, talking about the power of paradigms. And so, um, there is a uh, general paradigm in modern Christianity that... Sh- believes that there's a great deal of discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And with that, there are implications that people believe in some cases, uh, there's implications that they believe uh, that they would never state or, and if you said you believe this, they would say, oh, no, we don't. So let me give you an example of that. Almost, uh, you know, somewhere over 90% of Christians today believe that when you first come to Christ, you will be passionately zealous for the Lord for a while, and you'll have the zeal of youth without much wisdom. And as you grow, you'll grow in wisdom but you'll also grow in uh, mediocrity in terms of your love for the Lord. People actually believe that about marriage, too, they, that you'll have an intense, passionate love for each other for a year or two, and then the honeymoon's over. And you'll kind of live in the same house, but it won't, your, your love for each other won't be as... as uh, Intense. And so let me uh, use a very Christian word to tell you that that's bull. (laughs) You are designed by God in such a way that if you walk with him properly, your love for God should grow and intensify over time. And guess what? Your love for your spouse should grow and intensify over time. And your love for your children should grow and intensify over time. Now for me, some of that with the children kind of came easy because I... uh, uh, you know, there's a thing you have to do when you watch movies or read fictional books or whatever that is called suspend your disbelief. And I was the kind of guy, like, I never liked superhero comics, superhero books, superhero movies at all, 
because it just was too unrealistic for me because I'm just wound too tight for that sort of thing. I hated that stuff. Superman, I thought, was for n morons or something, and I thought he was a moron. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I never liked that stuff, but that's just because of the way I'm wired. That's not necessarily truth in a gospel sense or something. But to like that stuff, you have to kind of go along with the story, right? And so for me, because of that, um, my relationship with my kids was very intense about playing when they were young. You know, we had jump on daddy time every night and bouncing them on the bed and Zerbers and wrestling and tickling every night. Like we spent hours on that stuff every night. But I wasn't as much about um, like helping them with their math homework or helping them with their reading. Catherine did most of that because the fact is I was wound too tight to, and I was afraid I wouldn't be patient enough. So I got more involved with them on the serious things in life as they grew older, so to speak. And so it was easier for my relationship to deepen with them. But nevertheless, that, that aside, your relationship with God, there's actually kind of an assumption in today's church that, oh, that, you know, uh, who's zealous in our church? Have we got any young zealous people? On <laughs> Vash. <laughs> Sindhu, she's pretty, she's pretty in love with the Lord at this point and so forth. But we actually kind of think, oh, dearie, that's so sweet. You'll be old, skeptical, and bitter like me someday. No, really, we actually kind of believe that. But we would never say that. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that's even true about a lot of our approaches towards God. The truth is, this idea of the discontinuity between the Old Testament and New Testament is so deep in our, in our so-called Bible-believing culture, which is not Bible-believing at all, uh, because in, real, in biblical thinking, belief has to do with obedience and doing. You, 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 you can tell what you believe in by what you do. And so, um, but we actually go so far in the discontinuity thing is to actually subtly think that in many ways the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. Now, nobody would admit that, but most Christians actually believe that. They think, oh, the God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment and harshness. He had the Israelites wipe out the Canaanites. He had uh, sins that were worthy of stoning to death. Right? And so, um, uh, so what we're going to look at under all these points, like under Roman numeral 2, points 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, I don't know how many weeks it's going to take us to get through those, but we're going to look at ways in which uh, the proper understanding of the Bible is to see a continuity between the covenants. And we're going to look at ideas that undermine that continuity and bring you to a, a, an idea of discontinuity. 
Is everybody following what I'm saying? And so uh, there's a number of ways in which that happens. And I'm, uh, you know, most of you would agree with what I've said up till now and have come far enough in your understanding of the scripture. If you've been with this church at any time, um, you would probably agree with what I'm saying. But if I asked you to give me some examples, your examples would sort of bounce all over these categories. Uh, I'm going to try to help you organize your thinking a little bit on these, okay? So the first one has to do with the fact that both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are part of the eight major covenants of the Bible, all of which start with and end with an idea called the Eternal Covenant. Now, it's important to understand eternity. Ecclesiastes tells us God has put eternity in man's heart. You were actually meant to experience eternity when you experience the presence of God. You should understand eternity. Now, because you're finite uh, and you're not quite eternal in the sense that God is, and that's because you had a beginning, but like God, we, no human being has an end. Every human being is going to continue on into eternity. And eternity is not a long, long time. In the, in the song Amazing Grace, which is an amazing song, one of the most wonderful Christian songs ever, but the one line, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing his praise than when we just begun, that's bad theology. Because we're not going to be there 10,000 years. We're going to be there billions and billions and billions and billions of years, more than McDonald's sold hamburgers. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, the truth is, we're going to be in a realm where time doesn't exist anymore. And where we see the end from the beginning. And so we already know. I don't know how to explain it any better than that. So, um, so in Hebrews 13, 20, it says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. And it keeps going on, but I save space by now. Now, that's because long before time was created, that doesn't even make any sense, outside in time, now I can't, you can't really say before time, because it's actually he is and was and always will be. And so it's in a realm outside of time, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a covenant of which all other things God says and does are, out, are, by, are, are coming out of that covenant and are fulfilling that covenant and are living that covenant and enforcing that covenant. And you can't understand any of the other covenants of the Bible 
without understanding the eternal covenant. Now, in evangelical Christianity today, it's often said that the eternal covenant is, is the covenant of redemption that, that, and that the Bible's main theme is, is redemption. Wrong. Redemption is a sub-theme and the overall theme is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom. And redemption is a piece of that. Much like if I were to say, Nathan Hager is a nice young man who wears glasses, that would all be correct, but it's not, you know, without including that he's a father and he works in the heating and air conditioning industry and he came to Christ in such and such a way. And, you know, you, there were, you'd have to know a lot more to say, oh, yeah, I know Nathan. And most of us can say, I know Nathan, but do we know Nathan? <laughs> we, know, we each know Nathan to some degree, Probably Tiffany knows Nathan more so than, than most of us. Uh, I probably know Nathan more so than most of us because I've known him since he was a little tyke when I used to tell him that he has to work on pointing his finger at the king and saying, thou art the man. <laughs> and he used to look at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> he still does. But uh, <laughs> uh, So... Uh, the eternal covenant is a covenant outside and above time that includes everything such as uh, the Trinity will stay in perfect relationship, three persons and one being. Uh, the, they will create a universe that will be ever-expanding. I don't know if there's any plan to... Stop the expansion of the universe. But when God said, let there be light, hopefully you know this by now, it meant let there be light, 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 light. So long before the scientists discovered that the universe is still unfolding and new galaxies are spinning off and new planets and new stars are continuing to emerge, we should have known that because the Bible tells us that. So, um, all it's, you know, things that are included in the eternal covenant would be there would be a creation and that the crown of that creation would be a thing called humankind or man. Uh, in the old sense of the word, now we're all like concerned about gender, so we got to say man and woman. But when we say man, we mean all human beings, whatever gender. And... Uh, whatever age and so forth. Uh, and that man would be made in the image of God and that man would fall and that man would uh, uh, be redeemed and all that kind of stuff. However, his redemption is just part of a much bigger program and mystery. For instance, one of the parts of redemption is that God endured with great patience a whole group of individuals who were destined to perish. 
And one of the things that never gets talked about in redemption is that Nathan Hager and Sam Mawante won't be tempted to sin in heaven. What? Can you imagine, like, having no temptations? I can't. I know that the Bible says that, and I believe it. And I know that none of you are going to recognize me or each other. <laughs> what? <laughs> Neither Daniel Williams or me will have corny jokes. What? <laughs> no, uh, but do you know why? Do you know why Nathan won't be tempted to sin? Not just because his sin nature will be gone. Because part of the great drama of the kingdom of God is that God allowed all of us to be born in a fallen state and we know the end of that game. We've all lived and tasted death. Think about it. David Furlow, Adam Furlow, you know, uh, Sam Wilcox. They've all been rescued from the realm of the dead. And believe me, when they're in the light of, in a place where there's no time, and there's no day and night, there's no need for light, because the Lamb of God is the light that permeates everything on an intensity that we can't even begin to understand, there will be no appeal to evil at all. And God worked it out. That John Gray will always know, I remember what I was like when I was dead. There, there won't even be a conceivable temptation to go there. Now, does anybody ever preach on that? Is that the first time you ever heard that or thought about that? If it is, you've been going to the wrong kind of churches. Oh, <laughs> in past messages. Does everybody get that? So like uh, the point of this all is the eternal covenant is uh, much bigger than the story of redemption. It includes the story of redemption but it's much more than that. And so when almost every church today says the whole point of the whole Bible is the story of redemption, that'd like being, that would be like uh, being a Star Wars fan and leaving out Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Force. That would be like leaving out the Force. And, yeah, and, and the whole, and what the Jedis were. And it, would, it would be, it's, it's leaving out major parts of the bigger picture. So, in the Bible, there are approximately eight total covenants. The first one is the um, eternal covenant. It's not the first one mentioned. It's the first one that existed. And that led to the, the first one mentioned called the Adamic covenant, or the Dominion Covenant, or the Creation Covenant, of which most 
Christians today say that was a covenant of works. I've never seen someone who says the right answer. I've never seen it. But it was a covenant of grace. And so the, the thinking is, is that Adam and Eve were given a command. And what they don't understand is that all eight of the covenants, all covenants, have do's and don'ts. They have things you have to do and things you cannot do. And they have sanctions, that is blessings and or chastisements or consequences for disobeying the, the, the parameters of the covenant. All eight of the covenants have that. But because Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree of the fruit of good and evil, they'll say, every book you'll read says that's a covenant of works. But they could never have done it by works. They weren't not given grace. They were provided grace. In fact, they, to prove that, did they create themselves? No. He was, did they make the garden? Did they, did, uh, was it their idea? You know, one of the things that you t tell all kids, it wasn't your idea to be born into our family. <laughs> Sorry about you. <laughs> you know, uh, whether you like it or not, you were born into this family. And there's Im implications of that. This is how we do it in this family. And so... Um, and chastisements or punishments or firm boundaries for not doing it the way our family does it is part of the covenant. Because all covenants have sanctions. And they all have boundaries, that is, laws, obligations, and commands. And they're all entered into by grace. You didn't create yourself. And Adam and Eve, guess what? They didn't create themselves in relationship with their maker. He gave them that by grace. They were created in a wonderful relationship. That's why after they sin in Genesis 3, 9, it says that God came to look for them in the cool of the day because he did that every day. And when God asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know. It's because Adam didn't know anymore. That was grace to ask the question. That was the beginning of his salvation. People don't realize how if you love somebody, you've got to speak unpleasant truths to them. You have to. They have to begin to know where they are. And where they are is lost and messed up. And until you acknowledge where you are, you can't be helped. And that's half the problem of half the Christians is that we uh, see about 30% of where we are. And so we can't make any progress. Because we don't see the reality and the strength and the power of our laziness or, whatever, or our procrastination or our lack of a work ethic, or uh, our, our passivity in seeking God, or whatever our issues are. 
until we see just how deep it is, we can't see our need for a rescuer. Well, it's so past time, but this is good stuff. It really is, whether you know it or not. <laughs> That's your problem. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, sometimes the most loving thing you can do for a person is to say, I really care about you. That's why I'm going to tell you, you're really a mess. It was because when I came to Christ... I began to realize, I'm not just a little bit messed up. I'm really, really, really messed up. And if I hadn't begun to realize that I was really, really, really out of touch with reality, you know, Jesus says, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you can't know the truth. You know, what people don't get is the whole idea of the good news is it's the answer to the bad news. And until you see the bad news, you got no hope. It's the most hopeful thing that ever happened to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When God loves a person, when God's chosen a person, when God's calling you into his kingdom, the first thing he allows you to do is to crash on the rocks of reality. And you go from thinking, oh, I'm a little bit of a sinner, to, whoa! And until you start wondering, does Paul have it right when he says he's the greatest of all sinners? Or is it just because I wasn't born yet? <laughs> And when you start thinking, maybe I'm the greatest of all sinners, then you're starting to head the right way. That's actually on my list of, you know, I have a great list of, you know, today I you know, was on the wrong track. I was thinking about all these different composers that I want to ask God about. <laughs> you know, like, why is Beethoven so much better than everyone? And... Uh, <laughs> And why is there, like, no one, you know, like, even in the same league until you get to Tchaikovsky? Then, then there's no one in his league until <laughs> you go way down the road and to get to Mendelssohn and Dvorak and Mozart and a few others. But uh, on my more important questions that have to do with theology... Um, I forgot what we're talking. <laughs> All right. So I've got half a point A A one done. The other half is called the immutability of covenants, and that actually uh, we will not get into today. But that is the point that all covenants are part of the eternal covenant. And there are reasons because of the nature of God does not change. I don't know about you, like a lot of people as they get older don't uh, handle change as well, right? And so I like to say, I'm trying to be like the Lord. I don't change. <laughs> Everyone's always, I, one of the things I hate about the modern computer world is like, 
why does Google think they want, that you want them to improve the format of your Gmail every three or four weeks as soon as you get it figured out how to use it? Old guys like me take another year to get caught up. But by then, they've changed it three more times. I hate change. <laughs> even like anything, even the word change, even if it means something else, like my pocket change. I just, I, some of you have been with me when I bought your lunch or whatever, and I just give you the change because I don't like change <laughs> of any kind. If it has to do with the word change, I don't want it, except changing my clothes. But that's an external change. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to talk about immutability of covenants next week. But hopefully, uh, you're at least starting to touch. I really didn't get into all seven covenants, just the Adamic covenant. But we'll go through uh, the Noahic covenant. See if I can name them all. Of course, eternal covenant, Adamic covenant, Noahic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, uh, what am I? I? Oh, I left out Mosaic. Sorry. After Abraham, before what David, and uh, then after the Davidic covenant, which would be six. Then there's the new covenant, and then there's Friday night and January 11th, the marriage covenant. And uh, all those covenants are part of the eternal covenant. You know, Christiana did a thing that. Uh, like if there was some kind of reward system, she would get my ultimate reward because they're doing a thing where uh, in the bulletin they're explaining where all the different marriage traditions came from. And uh, you probably, how many hours did you spend on that? Probably a lot, right? A few. <laughs> well, that's going to be a treat. So anyway, let's, let's kind of wrap this up. But what we're, what we're trying to do here is kind of help you see that the, the contemporary way of understanding the New Testament as if it's something completely unrelated to the Old Testament. And you know how you know that? How many people uh, either went to a church or in your own experience really emphasized studying the Old Testament before you came here? Gene? Anyone else? Christian? So, the fact is, um, most Christians today, you know, um, don't even study the New Testament. One of the things I always tell people when I get them started on a Bible reading program is start in Matthew 1, read Revelation 22. At the same time, start in Genesis 1, read all the way to Malachi 4. Just keep marking them off. And part of that is because you should read whole books at a time. Now, you can't probably have the time to read uh, 40 or 50 chapters of Scripture a day, but try to read as many books in as few sittings as you can because that's how they are written. We know discontinuous verses here and there about all sorts of dis, uh, disjointed subjects. One of the things that would help you when you begin to see covenant and kingdom as the major themes, you'll begin to understand every subject like prayer or marriage or finances, stewardship, grace, sin, all of these fit in one neat package. 
and they're not unrelated. And that, you know, here's a very important thing. God is one, and therefore truth is one. And the Bible is just saying one thing. Brother Greg is, to, is saying lots of things that take all day to hear. But the Bible has one overall message about the tri- revelation of the triune God and especially, of course, of the Son, Jesus Christ. The, king, the kingdom of God, the covenant, our high priest, all that stuff is one subject. Let's uh, have our communion people come forward.